Second Corinthians 11, 1 through 6. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the shepherd deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Verses 12 through 15. And what I am doing I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Thanks, Stephanie. Well, good morning. Well, I sure am thankful for you brothers and sisters and the Gideons and your ministry, getting the Word of God, the truth, to those who need to know truth. And we can stand firm on it. We can stand firm on the truth. You know, I was reminded of one other truth that we can stand firm upon. The fact that Capitol High is the state champions of Idaho. Congrats. And Paul Rush, congrats to you. We feel at Cold Community Church we had some influence on him as we raised him up in the body of Christ. What a great coach. Several years ago, I got a phone call from some friends who uh, called to ask if I would uh, step into some marriage struggles that a couple was having. And this couple uh, wasn't in terrible shape. They were, they were going through what a lot of couples go through, just not understanding each other, uh, not, not uh, relating and communicating very well. But in the middle of that, uh, troubles arose that went deeper. And what happened was, is the wife started to take some tennis lessons, and the tennis instructor uh, basically started to pursue this woman, this wife, to flirt with her, to speak all kinds of kind words to her. And she was being drawn in by the lie. She was being drawn into these words that she hadn't heard from her husband in a while. And she started to believe the lie. And so I flew out to be with my friends who cared for this couple as well as I did. And we went and we approached this uh, tennis instructor. And we picked up some tennis rackets. started firing tennis balls at his head. We wish we could have. 
And we approached him and said, stay away from this woman. She's not yours. And these are men who care about this couple and stay away from this woman. And here's what we found with this guy. He could care less. Don't tell me what to do. I care less. And so he kept tempting and pursuing. And then with a heart of passion, we went to the woman and said, don't fall into these lies. This is not what God has for you. This is not your husband. And pursued her and slowly started to allow the Lord and and minister to her and slowly started to draw her back unto Christ. That's what we're going to deal with this morning. Being drawn away from our first love. From being drawn away from the Lord. And all the things that tempt us and pull us away from life in Christ. We are the bride. Christ is the groom. And Paul, like a jealous lover, is going to call us back into relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray for that this morning. Father, I just pray your, your work in our midst this morning. I pray that, that you would forgive us when we are drawn in to anyone else but you. Forgive us when we're led astray, deceived. Give us the power to, to stand firm on the truth that you love us, on the truth that you are the groom and we are the bride, and that there is no other husband. And Father, uh, I just ask this morning that uh, in this body, if there's those who have been led astray, would you, through your grace and your love, uh, draw them back unto you? In your precious name, amen. amen. Paul saying, I want you to bear with me in my foolishness. Again, the, the Corinthian leaders, these super apostles, are saying the way I act and live is foolish. So bear with me in my foolishness. Paul, who loves the church, loves the Corinthians, with an incredible shepherd's heart. He says in verse 2, I I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But someone is trying to steal you away. He says, I'm jealous for you. It's a divine jealousy. Jealousy is one of those emotions, usually when we hear it, we think of the negative of it. We think of the way that the flesh lives it out. It's jealousy that is destructive. It's concerned about my own feelings. Jealousy that's possessive. A jealousy that wants to control another person. This is often what we see. It's dominating. It usurps the rights of others. It insists on its own way. And often what we see in worldly jealousy is a lot of times on TV, we'll see all of a sudden there is a murder because of an enraged jealousy. That's the world. This isn't the type of jealousy that Paul had. He had a godly, righteous, true jealousy. It was one that came right from the Lord's heart. Remember, the Lord teaches us in Deuteronomy and all throughout the Old Testament 
For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. He's a jealous God. You shall not bow down to others. There is no tennis instructor that you're to enter in with. Godly jealousy is one that arrives from a a deep passion that cares for the heart of another person. Godly jealousy is one that that draws a person back into relationship with the Lord and into good relationship one unto another. It's careless about yourself. It doesn't focus on you, but on the other with tenderness and thoughtfulness. It's often a jealousy that never ceases because its powerful motive, like the heart of Paul, is one to draw back again into right relationship. A godly jealousy in, in a marriage can look like this in a husband to a wife. I want this marriage to stay together. You're the only one for me. God has given me to you as a gift. And we are given one unto another as a gift. And so a godly jealousy protects that beautiful relationship. I oftentimes get get people frustrated. They'll say, my husband or my wife is really upset with me because I have these friends on Facebook that are old friends from high school. And they're of the opposite sex. And actually several of them are old Boyfriends or girlfriends. And my spouse is really upset with me that I'm connecting up. Just being friends. They're getting so jealous. Isn't that wrong? I say, absolutely not. That's a godly jealousy that is protecting that marriage. That is trying to draw you back into relationship with God and with one another. And when we are casually connecting in with other lovers, other old boyfriends and girlfriends, that we say are just friends, we deceive ourselves. And destruction happens. And we hear the whispers of the tennis instructor. Oh, you're so beautiful. I have so much more life to offer for you. Paul enters in with a, a father's jealousy, the heavenly father's jealousy. And that's the image he gives. He gives the image of of a father's love for his daughter to be given in marriage. Like in today's weddings when the father proudly and full of tears in his eyes walks his daughter down the aisle. This beautiful daughter of mine I'm about to hand over to you. There's a godly jealousy there of love. And then there's a godly joy of seeing this union in Christ you ever, man, you ever face one of those dads who had that jealousy, that beautiful protection over his daughter, and they sit down with you and give you the talk? I remember in high school, even, some dads, very protective, loved their daughters, wanted them to stay true and godly. And sitting down with me and Here I am, 16, 17 years old. What are your intentions with my daughter? And what I really thought about it, I was like, well, my intentions are to make out with your daughter. (laughs) 
she's gorgeous. You're a guy. You should know that, Dad. That's your guy. You know what I thought. I mean, that was the honest truth. But it was a dad who was like, hey, she's so much more than that. What are your intentions? If you're going to come into relationship with my daughter, I'm going to guard her with a jealous love for her. Paul's like that. In Jewish culture, it was the father's responsibility to commit his daughter's betrothal. He would present her as a pure virgin at the wedding day. And in the Old Testament, it was, there was law that was if the woman wasn't presented and proved to be a virgin, there would be an outcry in the town, even to the point of stoning to death. And so it was a, it was a father's obligation to present her that way, pure. And so he would present her, knowing in full confidence, this is my daughter who I've guarded, who I love. And in this passage, the betrothal was the Corinthians' conversion through Paul's ministry. The husband is Christ. The wedding day is Christ's return. Let me read Revelation 19. That's a beautiful passage. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and the sound of the mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah. For our Lord, our God Almighty reigns. And let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made ready herself unto Christ. And it was granted her to clothe herself with a fine linen, which was bright and pure. This is how Paul viewed these dear Corinthians. This is how he presented these Corinthians unto God, prepared for the wedding. And then one day, ultimately, when Christ returns, the betrothal into the full union. But all of a sudden, Paul sees a threat. A tennis instructor has come into town. And in verse 3, he says this, I'm afraid I have this jealous love for you. It's straight from the heart of God. But I'm afraid that as the serpent has deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray. You'll be tempted to follow. Our sin will get a hold of us. I wanted to show a video that just shared a little bit about the fall in the garden. Hello, child. How was your day? 
your conversation, I just had one simple question. Exactly what did the Creator say? That thing about the tree, the evil and the good, how do you know that you understood? Did He really say what you think you heard? Maybe your mind twisted up the words. Did He say, hands up all the plants, don't look, don't touch, don't taste? What a waste that would be. out the tree with the taboo, the tree of the knowing, the good and evil too. She told the snake that God had made it drop dead clear, that everything else was free, every other tree. But if they took one tiny taste of the fruit of this particular one, they would absolutely, positively crash and burn. Maybe my man and I were born for this. Born to know. Born to control. Born to rule. She swallowed hard and it was done. She gave some to her covenant partner, Adam. He opened his mouth and gobbled it down. And the universe was silent. was the cool part of the day and God was walking, walking through the land he made, his ecosystem so magnificently put together, about to erode, about to implode before his sad and timeless eyes. He took one long last look and kiss the innocence. Goodbye. Adam? Where you hiding, son? Eve? Girl? What have you done? Look around broken now, under a curse, 
from bad to worse. Now your eyes are wise and clear. Now you know shame. Now you know fear. Now you know you're naked. Now you run for cover. Well, here's what's gonna happen. Life will be shorter. Pain will be greater. Work harder, grinding it out by the sweat on your brow, the blood on your hands, Eve and Adam, even the bond you have will now be strained, slightly off, distorted, refrained. And as for you, reptile snake, Adam will crush your head, you will strike and bite his heel, you will feel the weight of the consequences of what you've done for he looked them in the eye with a sigh. It's broken now, he said. And the serpent, he Paul's passion for the beloved in Corinth. I'm afraid that your thoughts will be led astray, like in the garden. I'm afraid that you're being drawn away from that beautiful relationship with God. And as you're being led away, it leads to nothing but death. And so like a jealous father, I'm coming after you because God wants you back. I'm afraid your thoughts will be led astray from what? He says this in verse 3, from a sincere and pure devotion in Christ. Literally, it's from the simplicity and the purity which is in Christ. Some manuscripts will put it, the simplicity that is in Christ, period. You're being led astray. God has done so much for you in his love for you. And it's broken by sin. And God wants you back. He wants you in relationship with him. The simple relationship with Jesus Christ. The problem is, is that we're being drawn to other things. We're not holding on to what is true. We're falling for other lovers. And we say to ourselves, did God really say? And we're losing sight of Christ alone. David Roper used to speak often and say in the church, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And that main thing is relationship with Jesus Christ. Simple relationship. And what does that look like? Companionship with the living God through Son Jesus Christ. And I just want you to think for a minute this morning, what, what does that look like for you? What does that companionship, that daily companionship look like? That simple relationship in Jesus. That he's the only one. What does that look like? 
We praise God again for the Gideons and the Word of God so that we can have relationship and knowing His truth for us, that we can know His will for us, that we can know His love for us, and then we experience through the power of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that relationship. Simple. You're losing your pure devotion unto God alone and His Son, Jesus. We're losing the knowledge of His presence. We're no longer expectant in the work that He's going to do in our lives. Pure and simple devotion. You know, we, we say uh, that we're not about religion. We're about relationship. We're not about religion. We're about relationship. That's pure and simple devotion unto Christ. You know, yesterday we, we sat in here with several hundred for Brian Schlater's uh, memorial service. And what kept coming out over and over again was his simple and pure devotion unto Christ. And several stood up and talked about his simple and pure devotion unto Christ. One man even stood up and said, I just want to make an observation. Why are we surprised? I'm not surprised at all by what I'm hearing. Because that's who Brian was. A man who loved Jesus. There was no other that he was pursuing or being led away from. Even in the struggle with cancer, he was holding on to the love of Christ. Ray Stedman says this, the danger that we constantly face, even in a church like ours where the Word of God is taught, is that we get involved in the things about Christ and we fail to live in a relationship with Christ. And this is what Paul's deeply concerned about. This is why he's jealous to maintain that simplicity which is in Christ. 1 Corinthians 9 says, God is faithful who has called us into fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful. Are we? And we can so easily lose the simplicity and the purity that is in Christ through our Christian activity, through Bible study, You know, some of us can be drawn into certain books of the Bible and we get so caught up in the theology of it all, especially the book of Revelation. I'm amazed how some will get so caught up in trying to figure it all out and we can lose track of the simple truth, the purity, the devotion to Christ. And the reminder, hey, guess what? There's going to be a wedding. There's going to be a wedding. The bride is going to come. The bridegroom will come and take his bride. In Corinthians, the teachers were drawing away these young Corinthians from this simplicity. They'd infiltrated the community. And Paul couldn't just sit by and watch the tennis instructor lead the wife astray. He wasn't just going to be, oh well. Because he had the love of God, a jealous love of God. And he says through verses 5 through 10, he says, Listen, I know you're drawn to these super apostles. I may not be as eloquent as they are. I'm not as fancy. But in the knowledge of Christ and knowing him deeply, I am. And I've made known to you who Jesus is. I've introduced you to the bridegroom. 
There's still a disbelief in my apostleship, Paul's saying. You're still concerned about how I was making money or basically wasn't making money. I'm not like the super apostles who demanded a big wage and basically were ripping you off. But I went without so that I wouldn't be a burden to any of you. And Paul keeps ministering to them. I will keep boasting. I will not stop pursuing you. I will keep boasting in the Lord alone. He's the only answer. And I will keep ministering and drawing you back with the heart of Christ unto the Lord. Because the truth is in me. Verse 11 says, it's because I love you. Do you think it's not? Do you think I'm acting this way because I don't love you? I radically love you with a jealous love that wants to draw you back. I want you to know truth. These teachers are not of God. Look at verse 12 down to 15. I'm going to continue to pursue you. I'm going to continue to do what I'm doing. I'm going to keep acting like a fool if I have to in order to undermine the claim of those who would claim of their boasted mission work, that they do it on the same terms as we do. Such men are false apostles. They're deceitful workmen. Look at those words. That's of the enemy. They're disguising themselves as, as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, look at verse 14, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Oh, he looks so good. Did God really say? It's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. They're false. They're deceitful. They're drawing you in. They're a tennis instructor who's saying how wonderful you are and how much better relationship with me would be than with your husband. David Schumann wrote a book called The 99 Bottles of Wine. And it was titled that because it spoke of the industry's secrets on how they draw people into certain bottles of wine. And they will always make their labels and bottles look 10 to $20 more expensive than they are. Everything is very intentional. And he says one of the key things that we do is we, we put little hints of gold everywhere around the bottle to draw your eye and think, oh, this is an expensive bottle of wine. He goes, even to the point, the foil on the top of the wine, we make sure that that's embossed and it has a little bit of gold on it so that people pick it up and go, ah, this must be a good bottle of wine. And then what we did is we did a test where we put out the same wine all across the board and we had it in different bottles some that were labeled with the price, some that had $90 to $100 on the bottle. And guess which one tasted best? The one that had the gold leaf and the $100 bill. Oh, let me lure you in with my packaging. Let me draw you near and draw you away from what's authentic. And that's the enemy. He deceives. He looks beautiful. But it's nothing but cheap wine. Let's just finish up with seeing how the Corinthians were being drawn away in verse 4. He says this, I'm afraid you're being drawn away by them proclaiming another Jesus. That means 
another kind of Jesus. Similar, but not quite the same. Not a Jesus who humbled himself, but a power Jesus. We today in our culture say, oh, Jesus was a good man. That's another Jesus. Jesus didn't say that about himself. He said he was the son of God. Oh, Jesus is a good teacher. It's another Jesus. They wouldn't proclaim his deity or that he's a Jesus that saves. And how often do we get a knock on the door with someone wanting to talk to us about another Jesus? They're trying to lure you away from a pure and simple devotion unto Christ and his saving work. They are of a different spirit, not of the Holy Spirit. I was just watching a thing on the Dalai Lama. He was just in Washington, D.C., and he, again, was trying to do all this unity and let's come together and be one in our religion and our faith. And he just waxed eloquently about how, oh, we're all the same. It's just a little different. And that's literally what he said. My, my Christian friends say, oh, I'm a good Christian. My Muslim friends say, oh, we're, we're just the same. And with a smile on his face, talked about how we're all the same. And let's have unity in our religion unto God, whatever God that is. Paul said, uh-uh. Don't give me that smile on your face and come talking peace. Amen. It's not the peace of God. It's a different spirit. And it's a different gospel. The reason I showed that video was not just the garden scene, but a gospel message that speaks about the fact that we are sinners that without God, we are broken in our relationship with him. We are sinners in need of a Savior. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. We are sinners in need of a Savior. And God in his love has sent his Son to die on the cross for our sin so that we might have life as we believe upon him. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we forget that. Paul's saying, draw near to recognize that we need a Savior. This other Jesus that they're teaching is not the resurrected Jesus Christ. They're actually saying he's not. It's a gospel they're teaching, but it's not a gospel that leaves you transformed by the saving resurrection power of Jesus Christ, a new creation in Jesus. It's not a gospel that speaks about your forgiveness of your sin. Look how he presents these Corinthians. He says, I present you, Corinthians, as pure virgin unto the husband. Why is that important? Because the Corinthian church was full of sexual immorality. And do you see Paul's heart and what he's presenting about how he views the Corinthians in Christ? They're pure. They're forgiven. They're washed. You have been betrothed to God and to God alone. And he sees you as pure. Don't be led astray from your husband. Don't be drawn to other lovers. The gospel of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us. And so I come with a jealous heart, Paul says, drawing you back unto a pure and simple devotion Unto Jesus. Let's pray.
Father, again, I just uh, ask your hand upon us that wherever we're being led astray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would empower us and, and, and speak to our hearts. Draw us back to you, Lord. We submit our lives unto you. And we want to be close. And we thank you for your promise. As we draw near, you draw near to us. In your beautiful and precious name, amen.